0: The Lord's been dealing with my heart and with yours for some time. Let's go to the Father in prayer before him. Almighty God, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus, and it is our prayer that today you speak and we respond. In the strong name of Jesus, open our ears, open our hearts, and let us hear your word through Christ. Amen. Why are we here? Uh, that's a question we have been leading up to for over a year and a half. In January of last year, uh, we were wrapping up uh, a study in First John that before it had come the book of Habakkuk, before it the book of Ephesians. All of these passages of Scripture looking at the local church and what it should be, looking at the at God's people and how they needed to come back to God, and, and John looking at how we need to be sure nothing distracts us from what God wants us to be and do, that we do not believe any of the lies of the false teachers that are out there. And then uh, we looked for three months at the awakening that must come. And I still believe with everything in me, The only hope we have as a people is for God to move in a magnificent way among the body of Christ, bringing us to where we need to be so that we can do the things that will honor God in our land. We're broken folks, and we need God to heal us. Last week, my brother Bill preached out of uh, Hebrews 12, and I love the book of Hebrews, and he pointed out something several times, and I want to echo him because I don't know if he really understood how God had intended all of this to go about. I asked Bill to preach for me on July the 4th, several months ago, before, and, and I, I pro- he and I don't sit down and talk and say, well, this is what I'm going to say, then this is what you're going to say. Uh, it's the same thing Miss Betty's class used to ask me if I looked at the Sunday school literature when I was getting my sermons prepared, and I said, No. If you're hearing it more than once, God wants you to hear it. But Bill said very powerfully that we are citizens of the kingdom of God and we must be living accordingly. We've got to become the people God has called us to be. And that's what's going on with this question. Why are we here? Bay Vista Baptist, we are one representative of the body of Christ in our area. And we are here for a reason, not just because some people had a desire to build a church way back in the early 60s, but because God wanted us planted here. And God has a task for us to do, a purpose for us to be. And so for now, for a year and a half, I've been leading to this moment. From now until the beginning of Advent, we are going to be looking at answers to the question, why are we here? What exactly is God wanting to do with our hearts and our lives? And today, we're going to begin that journey by looking at worship. Worship. For the next four Sundays, our focus will be on our task of exalting, praising, and honoring God. And this worship, today, we get to begin with a really great word, and you heard it at the very beginning as we sang together, hallelujah. I absolutely love the word hallelujah. It is found frequently in the book of Psalms, usually used to introduce or conclude a song, and sometimes in between. But it's always translated, and it's always translated, praise the Lord. If we wanted to be more specific, we could translate it, you, praise the Lord, because it's a command. For us, hallel, praise Yah, Yahweh, the Lord, praise Him. This word is used only four times in the New Testament. With all of the times it's used in the Old, only four times, and all in the passage we're going to read today. But guess what? It's not translated. It simply comes out, hallelujah. A word that used to be heard more frequently in Baptist churches, and I hope and pray one day it shall be again, but it is a word that it doesn't even need translating anymore. Folks, did you know that all around the world, all different cultures, all different languages, when churches come together, you'll hear the word hallelujah. And we know that it is a word of praise, a powerful word of praise. And the spirit and movement of our passage today have been captured in one of the most amazing pieces of music ever, Handel's Hallelujah Chorus in his oratorio, The Messiah. And it drew from the passage we'll be looking at today and one other passage in Revelation Revelation 11:15, which reads, "Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has come, and the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is who we have come to meet, and I believe that with everything in me, the worship is the key element of us becoming who we are meant to be in the body of Christ. Now, by now, many of you know how much I love the writings of A.W. Of Tozer. Um, I have quoted him more times than I can count in 40 years of preaching. I've quoted him many times here at Bay Vista. I absolutely love his work. And toward the end of his life, before his death in 1963, Dr. Tozer expressed the opinion that worship acceptable to God is the missing crown jewel in evangelical Christianity. And it was his heart to write one more book on worship. Attitudes in Christian worship. Well, he didn't make it he died before it could be pinned but in 19762 excuse me in his avenue road church of toronto he preached a series of sermons entitled worship the chief end of man and those sermons were gathered together and published as the book what happened to worship whatever happened to worship a call to true worship and in its very first sermon worship in the christian church Tozer said, It is certainly true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days. Except the most important thing. Folks, this was in 1962. The most important thing. We are missing the genuine and sacred offering of ourselves and our worship to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. We are the recipients. That may not sound dramatic, but it is God's revelation and it is God's way. And I believe that Tozer hit the nail squarely on the head. And I'm not alone. Millard Erickson, in his systematic theology, Christian theology, pointed out that the early church didn't first just run out witnessing and ministering. The very first thing that happened to what became the church, they had gathered together to pray and seek God's face. And that became the pattern churches gathered to worship. And then they went out to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And it's such a powerful truth. Wayne Gr- Grudem in his systematic theology point out the worship in the church is not merely a pre- preparation for something else. It is in itself fulfilling the major purpose of the church with reference to its Lord. That's why he wrote, Paul can follow an exhortation that we are to be making the best use of time with a command to be filled with the Spirit, and then to be singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so today, we're going to begin looking at this amazing, wonderful truth of worship. And I want to start with the word, Hallelujah. But we're going to a passage of Scripture you may not have expected. We're going to be looking, first of all, at worship in the very throne room of God. The 24 elders are gathered around the throne. The four creatures are bowing before him. And worship is breaking out through all of heaven. We'll be looking at Revelation 19, 1 through 6. And I'm going to pick up a, a, a little thing from my brother Bill that I haven't done in a while. But this is a fitting passage to do it. Would you stand in honor of God's word at this moment? By the way, Bill didn't create this. If you know your Old Testament, it started when one person started reading the word of God from a platform and everybody stood. But for them, it lasted all day long. It won't be that long here. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. And I will let you know right off the bat, angel skipped the difficult passage, the difficult verse. And I don't blame her. So let's hear the word of the Lord. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. When we look at this text, the first thing I want you to see is that that voice in heaven cries out, For all who fear and serve the Lord to praise Him. Folks, who does that include? All. All. Every one of us. The angels in glory and the God's creation called humanity who have been redeemed by Christ. Everyone who serves and fears the Lord is called by God to be a worshiper. And we need to understand that. We need to look at our text, even the difficult part of it, and come to to terms with the relevance of worship. Because folks, this passage calls out to my heart that we need to understand how worship impacts our lives. And folks, if we're guilty of what Tozer says, it's not having the impact it needs to. We need to be involved in God-exalting, God-glorious telling of his truth every time we come together and as we worship in our, our lives. So how does God's word tell us that worship has an impact? Let's listen to the truths. We find, not from a teacher saying, this is what you need, but actually listening To the one place in all of creation where worship is done perfectly. And we're going to learn from those truths. And the very first thing that we're encountering, worship reminds us that God is glorious and powerful. Now at the beginning of our text, we heard that salvation and glory and power belong to the Lord. I'm going to zero in on the words, glory and power right now and we'll come back to salvation and the reason I do so is because those two words point to the unique character of the Lord our God and John's vision included the truth that God is like no other please understand that God is like no other and these two words point to that. Now, when you come to the word glory, sometimes it's used of human beings. We talk about the glory of man, or in a secondary sense, their reputation. Men who, and women who deserve honor, who deserve recognition. But you know what the problem with human glory is? It's a little bit shifty. It's sometimes done completely in error. Sometimes we give praise to people in God' job they've done really well without knowing all that's involved. Sometimes we honor the wrong people. Because as human beings, sometimes we give honor. We're afraid not to. Just think of some of the despots throughout history that while they were alive, no one said anything bad about But when it comes to God, that word glory takes on an amazing, beautiful, powerful step. You see, the glory of God entails his unchanging essence. Everything that he is, everything that he does is wrapped up in this term of glory. God's glory is the sum effect of all of his attributes. When we talk about his grace, his truth, his goodness, his mercy, his love, his justice, his knowledge, his eternality. When we talk about all of those things, what we are truly talking about is the glory of God. And a gentleman by the name of Michael Green compared it to the sun. He said, the sun is light. And you don't make the sunlight. It is light. Water is wet. And you don't make it wet by claiming it because water is wet. And when I declare God is glory, I am simply acknowledging what is intrinsic in His nature, which is at the very basis of all He is. He is glory. It's God in his greatness, God in his wonder, his majesty, incomparable with any other being throughout all of the universe. Then we come to the word power. And the word power here is a word that means ability or capability. You have the might. You have the ability to get something done. And often in humanity, we abuse that power, don't we? In so many different ways. But biblically speaking. When we come to God. The word declares that God is Lord of all the powers. He is the God of history. He alone created the world. He alone sustains the world. And God's superior power is not abusive. Like human power. Why not? Because God's power is determined by his righteousness. By his glory. And all that he is. And God's power is used to bring about his purpose, his call, his glory. And so the glory of God should cause us to be in reverence. It's been a while since I've reminded you of this. But please, never, ever, 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 ever say to me, the man upstairs... Those are almost fighting words. We cannot lose the glory of God and the awe of who he is. We cannot afford to lose reverence. And his power, because he uses it with his love, his power should cause us to trust him. So how do we move from glorifying God To doing church services. Well our problem folks. Is that familiarity may cause us to lose. awe for our majestic God. And this is a problem when we allow worship. To become something we do by rote. When we come in and we do the same things we do every Sunday. And we sing songs and prayers are lifted. And the sermon is preached. But our minds and our hearts are not really in it. We can sing songs, folks. Since Bill was being honest with you, and, and I try to be anyway, uh, I've been guilty of singing songs and not because I know them. And just saying words that I know without thinking about what they say. And what's fun is when you're singing out of a different hymnal like today, the 2000 Baptist hymnal, when you're singing Praise the Lord, a song some of you cut your teeth on, Our Wonder, Our And everybody's ready to say, transport! No, it is now victory. So I can tell sometimes when people are singing by rote. When we go through motions. When we lose sight of the glory and honor of God. When we just do whatever we do, week in, week out, without thinking. We sing the songs without realizing what they're saying, which is why sometimes in worship what is more focused on is whether or not we sang the songs I like. And we sang some powerful songs today that were powerful not because I liked them, because they spoke amazing truths. Folks, when we make a decision, God, we want to come and worship you. We want to come and adore you. We want to come and give you glory and honor and power. We want to exalt you today. When that happens, worship will help us to stay focused on reverence of the Lord. Because we will gather with one purpose. We will gather with one heart. We will gather with one understanding everything in us, our emotions, our intellect, our fervor, everything about us, we come with one purpose and that is to exalt God and God alone. Folks. I will admit that there is part of me that enjoys it when people tell, boy, that was a powerful sermon today. And every time I start feeling a little proud of myself, I remember the reason it's powerful is it's the word of God. And he has spoken into my heart. And I remember back, I told you this before, my very first church, my wife was able to keep me humble amazingly. After one sermon I thought was the best sermon that had probably ever been preached, Billy Graham would probably want the notes. Uh, and I just, uh, I walked back to the back and I looked at my wife before anybody came back and said, well, what'd you think? And she said, it was better than some. <laughs> and not in a terribly loud voice, I said, thank you to her, but in a very loud inner voice, I said to God, thank you for reminding me who gets credit. If we are here with one purpose, to exalt God, it will impact our lives forever because it will remind us that God is the God of glory. God is the God of power. And that truth is echoed and shown in the next truth. Worship reminds us that God is true and just. God is true and just. And the next part of this passage is hard for us to handle. Paul Gartner has pointed out that the idea of praising God for the smoke that rises out of judgment is hard for us to face. Were any of you taken back by that? That they're up in glory praising God, that fire has consumed Babylon the Great? John Corson put it even even stronger. He said, it's the natural tendency of people to say, wasn't that a bit brutal, Lord? Did you really have to drop 100-pound Hailstones on people. Wouldn't 30 pounders have done the job? What are you doing, Lord? Why do you allow such pain and tragedy? Well, folks, let's come to understand what's really being said here. Why heaven is glorifying in the fall of Babylon the Great, the prostitute. And that today's not the day I'm going to go into depths about what all the images of Revelation means. Let me just remind you, those of you who are here for 1 John, you heard John say, you've heard the Antichrist is coming, but I'm telling you the spirit of Antichrist is already here. There Babylon the Great, something out in the head of us in the future perhaps, but I'm telling you Babylon has been around since the fall of man. The Babylonian spirit shows itself every time people exalt themselves before God. When people refuse to bow down to their creator. When they say, what I want is what's important, not you. So Babylon has been around forever. So what's really being said here? A difficult concept for us was meant to draw attention to God's holiness. Now think about how powerful this was to John. He's on the Isle of Patmos, exiled because of his faith in Christ. And he hears in his heart what the folks in eternity know that we don't, or we seem to fail to know. What we need to know, those in glory understood that God has been reigning on his throne forever. But at that moment, John has given a glimpse God now has come and God has conquered all the thrones of earth, all the thrones of Babylon. All the thrones of Satan himself and the beast. In his sovereignty, God allows evil to exist. And that's a struggle in of itself. God has allowed evil men and evil angels to do their worst. But the time for John's glimpse had come and for us will come when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this word then, is not so much a praise, ha ha, way, yay, and they got theirs. There is an element that feels like that, but the main focus of this is, God's holiness will prevail. That's why they're excited. Ray Summers, one of our great Baptist seminary professors of days gone by, said it is not a song of rejoicing over the evil which has fallen upon this ancient, ungodly nation as much as it is a song of rejoicing over the triumph and righteousness and truth. Folks, the reason we praise God is because of His holiness and knowing that one day all of the evil that is in this world, all of the shame and wickedness, all of the man's inhumanity to man will be dealt with and our problem is we don't focus much on the holiness of god loss of a sense of god's holiness leads to a warped understanding of god it it causes us to lose sight of who he is. When we forget his holiness, when we forget that he is true and just, John wanted his people to understand, as he wrote down his vision, a holy God is going to deal with sin. A holy God must deal with sin. Now you and I can rejoice that God has settled the debt of our sin if in fact we know Christ, Christ has died for us, raised from the dead Came into our lives as Lord and Savior, and He has canceled the debt. But we've got to be crystal clear at this point. We cannot allow ourselves to be deluded. And I'll tell you another book you ought to, ought to buy and read. R.C. Sproul wrote an amazing book entitled The Holiness of God. One of the best treatments I've ever seen. And in that book, he said, what God does is always consistent with who God is. He always acts according to his holy character. God's internal righteousness is the moral excellence of his character. It is rooted in his absolute purity. There is no shadow of turning in him. As a holy God, he is utterly incapable of an unholy act. There's a consistency about God. A straightness in him. So we must not lose sight. When we come here, folks, we can't be flippant. We can't come here thinking, oh boy, we're going to get to sing songs and we're going to do this and that and lose sight of the holiness of God. For I fear when we finally do understand that, as my brother alluded to last week, there'll be more than one of us that say, woe is me, I am done. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in among a people of unclean lips. When was the last time you thought that was an amazing service? Because it got me on my knees, weeping before God. See, worship helps warn us away from a casual view of sin's serious nature. When we're really worshiping, we really acknowledge God's holiness, then we are going to see sin in its heinous reality. I can't talk about my little white lie. I can't say, well, at least I don't do that like they do. I have my faults. They have their sin. When I know the holiness of God, then I come here, not braggadocious, not saying, look at me, I'm a child of God. I come here saying, Lord, I failed you this week. I lost sight of you. And I let my wants come before yours. God, I didn't listen. We repent. And we know that only Jesus Christ can ultimately break the power of sin in our lives. So when we come together to worship, we will come worshiping a holy God. And a lot of the trivialities of what we do and we sometimes bring will be washed away because a holy God deserves our entire attention, our entire heart, our openness to what He wants. And he's earned the right. Now he's had the right from the beginning. But folks, God deserves our praise. Because we come to our next truth. Worship reminds us that salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. And we need to understand that. You see, in the Greek world in which John lived, uh, the word salvation originally had a religious content and, and still had some throughout. But they said the gods will protect us from the, the evils of this world. But by the time John has gotten here, a prevalent idea was that salvation came through knowledge. And not just any knowledge. Secret knowledge. Given only to the truly deserving. And the mystery religions were trying to deal with how do we avoid faith? How do we get saved? And it was all through knowledge. But we come to our text. And the word declares with no uncertainty that John clearly understood his vision to declare that God alone could offer salvation. No false God, no false knowledge. None of that would count. Only God could bring salvation. In our text, the very throne room of heaven is singing out, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it belongs to the one that Revelation calls the Lamb of God. The line of the tribe of Judah turns out to be a lamb that was freshly slain for us. Salvation from a biblical concept means to deliver, to rescue, to make safe. Salvation is accomplished through the saving acts of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we need to understand that. Now I know, I'm not going to make you raise your hands. Bill did that a lot last week about whether or not you're Baptist. But folks, the people gathered in this room today, you have heard From the time you came to the Lord, you are saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that. But we don't always act like it. We don't always act like it. And you and I, we must avoid any notion that we can somehow save ourselves. Now, I know you've heard enough. You're not going to tell me out front, but Brother Danny, you're wrong. I I did say myself. I know that's not going to happen. But we have a problem here. Have you ever heard the expression, a self-made man? It's now been expanded to include a self-made woman. It was first coined February 2nd, 1832, by U.S. Senator Henry Clay. And he was talking about a lot of the self-made men in the Senate. And he carried the idea with people who had success, and that success came from themselves, not from outside conditions. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, has been noted as the exemplar of a self-made man. The Horatio Alger stories that would later come talk about poor individuals who through hard work and perseverance make their way to the top. And by the 50s of last century, the self-made man came to be understood primarily success and materialistic means. And a lot of people believe in our country, you can become whatever you want to as long as you work hard you can be the self made man well folks i'm going to tell you something that probably won't surprise you i personally believe the self made man is a myth because i believe nobody achieves success in this world either spiritually not even secularly all on their own there is always at the last there's always somebody who believes somebody who helps Somebody who cares. But whether or not you believe in the self-made man through hard work, I will tell you this. There are no self-made men or women in the kingdom of God. We can't do it on our own. Our salvation, we didn't earn that. Our salvation that keeps us in the hand of God, we didn't earn that. The beginning, the continuance, and the final glorification of salvation All are within the hands of God, and nobody in this room, I don't care how wonderful you are, nobody in this room deserves it. And when we come to truly worship God, when we are here to exalt Him, worship will help us to always remember the grace and mercy of God. When we sing songs like we did today or on any given Sunday, folks, the songs, if we read and understand what they're proclaiming, they are powerful and they're real. They may not be the style you like, but folks, forget that. Because that's not what worship is about. When we sing together the mighty acts of God, when we read the scripture, when the Bible is proclaimed, when we pray, worship will bring us real worship Will bring us whether we physically get down on our knees or not. They will bring us to adoration of a glory God who is salvation, and we need to understand that. Real worship focuses us that God is the one who saves. And we didn't get saved because we are better people than those folks down getting drunk on Bourbon Street. We too were sinners changed by the grace of God. And worship will always remind us of that. And all of this is possible because of our last truth. Worship reminds us that our God reigns. Our God reigns. Now, John didn't bother to tell us what that voice was. The voice of a multitude that sounded like the peals of many thunders. And a lot of people spent a lot of time looking at what he said about, or trying to figure out who said it. But John, the magnificent voice, let's focus on what? was said, that magnificent voice declared the Lord God to rule. And that's what's important here. The Lord God Almighty reigns. And that word reigns, and and we as Americans, unless there's a royal wedding around, we in Americans don't think much about kings and queens. We fought against it. But the word reign means to rule as a king and carries with it an implication of complete authority. But in our text, there is no implication, is there? The Lord God Almighty reigns. That word Almighty is used only about God in Scripture and it means all powerful, the one who has all the power, the Lord our God in some languages. The title can be expressed as the one who controls everything or the one who commands all things and all people. The text says God reigns. And our passage introduces us to the closing chapters of the book. I've told you before, but if you missed it, I'm going to tell you what Revelation is all about in one sentence. And it's a short one. God wins. God wins. He will be victorious. The reigning God will deal with all of the garbage left behind by sin and Satan. And this book declares it. Our problem is sometimes we don't always see it. A failure to see God as king will cause us to forget his rule over us. Well, Danny, I know God is king. Well, folks, I need to remind you, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Now, our church polity as Baptists is one of congregational decision. Just like the nation we live, it is a democratic republic. We believe this because we believe all believers are priests before their God. But sometimes, I think it, That in our American heritage gives us the illusion that we can barter with God, barter about what we will and what we won't do. We run the risk. When we lose sight of God as king, the risk of deciding what we will or will not do with the calling of God over our lives. And you're thinking, Danny, we would never do that. Really? What has God told us is his will. And I'm not going to go through it all today, but I'm going to tell you, You will be my witnesses. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. You are to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. You are to bring glory and honor to God. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You are to bring the kingdom of God to all corners of the world. All of these things We know crystally clear this is God, what he wants. And at least from mid-century last year on, the church has lost sight of who we are and what we're doing. And I've shared with you before, and I take no pleasure in this, the vast majority of evangelicals do not share their faith. When it comes to loving enemies, a quick trip down your Facebook feed may show how well you're doing that. Are we praying for those who hate us? And Does our prayer consist of God get them? Or are we praying God save them? transform them, change them. All of the activities we're going to be looking at from now till Advent are not suggestions. God has revealed in His Word these are the things you are to do. And when I excuse myself and say, but I'm not a professional evangelist. I'm not either, folks. I don't have the gift of evangelism. And I'll talk about that with you outside if you want. I do not have the gift of evangelism, but that does not tell me I cannot and must not share my faith. We need to hear God. And when we worship, and when we truly, honestly worship, it helps us understand the gulf between us and God. when I really come to worship, when I come into this place with my heart intent on meeting God, exalting His name, praising Him and loving Him, and hearing what He wants to say to me, and when I walk out of this building a changed man because I've encountered the living God, and folks, you cannot encounter the living God and stay the same. You will be changed. And when I walk out of this building more firmly committed to what God wants, then I have truly bowed my head and my heart before the Lord. And when we do that, we will remember God is our king. And when we remember that, we will know the only viable answer to God's call is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Chad Bird talked about 2020 going into 2021. And that's what he said. Neither this global pandemic, the gross injustices, the racial tensions, the mad riots, the macabre political theater, not even Tiger King should shock anyone, especially those who are schooled in the law and the prophets. All human history, from Cain and Abel onward, has amply demonstrated that destruction and stupidity, navel-gazing and bloodshed, the ubiquity of fools, and the thin veneer between civilization and anarchy is the norm, not the exception. And he said, this year just happens to be a rather colorful sampling of our commonly shared low anthropology. Welcome to Humanity 101, and don't worry, it won't get better. But then he says, we are not the church of Chicken Little, but the church of Jesus Christ. We do not run around screaming that the sky is falling. There is no panic in heaven. Over the chaos of this world reigns the King of Kings, Jesus the resurrection, before whom every knee will eventually bow, whether they like it or not. Every governmental authority, now presidents, kings, prime ministers, you name it, Every one of them, he says, are lame duck administrations. Their time is ending. Put not your trust in those powers. Christ and his kingdom are everlasting. And into that kingdom he calls us to find forgiveness, life, and peace. So when we come together, when we gather together to praise God, we come together to remember... That He is glory and power. We come together to remember that God is true and just. We come together to remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. We come together to remind us that God reigns. And so we must worship. If we're going to be the body of Christ, we must have a vital, real, powerful Meaningful worship of our God and King. And we've got to tell the world, we are not going to be won over to your sin. We are not going to forget who God is. We are not going to live the life of Babylonian spirit. We are going to worship God. And just in case you would like to see it, folks. In case you would like to get a taste, I want to share with you just a hint of what lies ahead of you and me. Some of you will know this tradition. the tradition would just stand. And that's just an orchestra of 600. Can you imagine when the millions upon millions of uncounted, uncountable people will be gathered before the throne singing praise to our God? I have never done this in 40 years of ministry. I've never shown a video in it during the sermon, but this speaks. This is our future. This is our glory. Let the God has come, this is what will be. So folks, let's commit ourselves to not waiting toward heaven. Let's commit ourselves to following the Lord in worship here and now, praising his name, honoring him, singing to his praises. I mentioned a tradition, some of you may not know, the first time this was ever publicly performed, the king and queen rose to their feet. Captured by the, the beauty and the promise of this declaration, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord God Omnipotent reigns forever and ever.